With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Portland is a baseball town. Our secretary didn't have anybody on the phone. (laughs) There was nobody on the phone. They were just egging me along. So they brought a little short, chubby guy in with the name Peters and put him <laughs> in my place and sent me to double A ball. Two fans, one mission to bring Major League Baseball to Oregon, fueled by Guardian Games and Athletic Field Design. This is the Diamonds and Roses podcast. Without further ado, your host, Ben and Dave. Welcome, everybody, to another episode of the Diamonds and Roses podcast. As always, I am your host, Ben, and I'm joined with my co-host, Dave. Good what's to be go- here. Yeah, what's going on, Dave? Well, nothing. Uh, it looks like uh, we've been allowed back to baseballism, which I actually find surprising considering everything that went down last time and the police involvement and whatnot, but uh, they did allow us back at baseballism, so that's great. Yeah, the last time I saw you here, you are getting thrown in the back of a police car. <laughs> it's, that's, that's another story for another day. Okay. We're, we're good now. Everything's worked out. <laughs> I think you were yelling, it wasn't me. Nothing a little community service can't take care of, so we're golden. <laughs> in a pill. Yeah. There we go. <laughs> Anyways, so... Uh, it's good to be back here at Baseballism recording. Yep. Great, great spot to record. Excellent spot. So, uh, with that said, uh, we hope you enjoy the show. It's going to be a great episode today. Uh, we have uh, a guest, and his name is Clayton Gelfand. So, Clayton, how are you doing today? I'm doing great, and thank you for having me. I appreciate uh, being here. Yes. Uh, so, we're at Baseballism because I think right now you're interning with Baseballism. Is it correct? Correct. Okay, a millennial that works. That's great. <laughs> Sorry, I had to throw that out there. No, it's fair. It's fair. Yeah, I know. Yeah, it's all good. Dave's hitting the soup lines. Right, right. Yeah. Well, <laughs> this Gen Xer, old, old man. Old, old man. Yeah. Um, so Clayton, uh, we're gonna get a little bit into your history. We're gonna talk about what you've done uh, leading up to where you you've been playing baseball, and then kind of currently where you're at, and kind of where you see yourself going forward in in life. Um, but. Let's start off. You were born in in the Portland metro area, right. and you lived in West Lynn, is what your it says that your hometown is. Um, and but you went to West Lynn High School as we were talking previously for a little bit, and then you went to Wilsonville. But you did some stuff prior to that, um, and uh, I found a little bit. Was it Little League or was it Ten U that you did the whole World Series push? Okay, so it was twelve A in West Lynn. Mm-hmm. Cal Ripken and we that's like M70s ball right yeah, yeah but when but when, when I think when when I was playing it was still smaller 60s. bases okay. you know uh, M60s yeah. uh, not big barrel bats right not okay. metal cleats any of that it was okay. 45 you know foot uh, to the mound yeah and 60 I think foot bases 60 yeah. foot bases mm-hmm. so small fences yeah, yeah nice and that was fun we 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 made it we did you know, I like to compare us to that Lake Oswego team that made it back in the same year as us. We mm-hmm. played them in Bend in the Buffalo tournament, and we beat them. So I'd like to, I like to always, th- whenever I talk about it, I always like to throw that out there and remind people that even though we went to the Cowboys World Series, we were still just as good as Little League, and it was a great experience. It was a great opportunity to kind of live mm-hmm. in a host family at 12 years old. And although we didn't win, I think we took something like fifth place, lost two. New Jersey or an Arkansas team or something like that but at 12 years old it was a fun it was heartbreaking and you know one of those things you'll never forget no matter how old I get mm-hmm. what people don't understand is the percentage of kids that play little league level baseball and never even come close to even playing in that uh, you know in terms of getting getting through the qualifier tournaments and everything so the experience alone you know we get so caught up in winning this and that but to even play in that is a huge deal right I mean that and probably probably something that you, you probably were able to reflect on a little later on uh, but that had to be really cool yeah so so had you so you you'd played you'd played like rec ball in the area since you were maybe five or so, like Westland Youth Baseball, mm-hmm. playing rec ball and growing up with a lot of those kids and mixing up teams uh, for a bit and then being on the, some of the same teams with the same kids in the summer, how'd that work? Yeah, so, you know, if, if, it, if I wasn't playing for Westland All-Stars or our Westland uh, Kyle Ripken League, 
I was playing with, I think I grew up, started with Diamond Sports. Okay. So like Garrig and Jose. Right, right. Oh, yeah. Clark. And those were the main guys when I was going. You know, actually, before that, I met Garrig at Club Sport when he was working at Club Sport. And he used to give me lessons in Club Sport with wiffle balls. And back when they had, you know, they have like a new like training facility in the back. You speak a basketball court in the far right far back corner and we used to just hit wiffle balls and then he created you know went to diamond sports with a few a few guys and i started there played diamond sports going well diamond sports is going well yeah diamond sports is growing and i think right now more than ever there's more baseball facilities around than when i was a kid so Mm -hmm. it's super Mm -hmm. cool to see but yeah i just did a lot of that a lot of diamond sports i played uh oregon select dennis arisman uh his son went to pepperdine and played um he did that at redmond and then oregon select diamond sports um, and then Capital City, uh, which was oh, Justin yeah. Barkas' team, mm-hmm. who's now the Pickles coach. And I played with him for a couple of years, and that was really fun. Met a lot of friends on that team that I still have today and from other schools around the, the state. So that mm-hmm. was super cool. So, and, so were you a kid that your parents pushed you or you pushed yourself? And this was just you and just kind of who you were? Like I think this, it was a, a little both. Was um, it? Kind of. you know, my dad played a college sport. My dad grew up playing sports. and. I loved baseball. He didn't have to push me to play the game, but mm-hmm. you know, he pushed me to get better and he pushed me to, to try, try to, you know, to always work harder and mm-hmm. uh, go past the limits. So I would say he pushed me to, to, to get better when I didn't want to, but I always okay. had that urge to, mm-hmm. you know, want to work and want to improve. But he knew, he knew that point to where, to, to not go too far. Yeah. So he, he kind of found that point. Yeah, as, absolutely. As a, as a parent slash motivator, so to speak. Absolutely. You know, if I didn't want to go hit, he wouldn't make me go hit. Oh, okay. You okay. know, it wasn't one of those situations. But if I wanted to go hit, he was the first person to to agree and toss me BP. And mm-hmm. yeah, it was That's great. Cool. Outside of playing baseball um, early on and, you know, your experience at Club Sport with wiffle ball and stuff, what was your earliest remembrance of actually, you know, physically watching baseball? What, what was that like? I guess I don't remember the first time, you know, I, I fell in love with the game, but there are early memories of me going to Mariners games with my dad and getting balls, you know, baseballs from people like Freddie Garcia and watching Ichiro play when mm-hmm. he was still, you know, dominating the game. And yeah. it was it was those moments right there that I'll never forget. And, you know, I'll never, rem- you know, forget some of the birthdays I had there. I, I, I know I did a couple of birthdays in, at Safeco. Oh, okay. that's back, awesome. Back when I was there with my dad and, those are the memories that you know you'll never forget. I think more than just the games and the the home runs and mm-hmm. the you know the strikeouts. It's like those little experiences that you know brought people together more. Yeah. Now everybody has that one player that they they look up to, or and sometimes they even imitate when they're out playing with their friends or even playing baseball. What's that one player for you? So it, I mean, it, it would go. There's a few different players. I don't think I emulated them because of you know. I, Sandy Koufax was a lefty. I'm not a lefty, but mm-hmm. he was an early hero of mine because we're both Jewish. So to see him do what he he did and uh, go through the circumstances and like the World Series when he didn't pitch on Yom Kippur. It and was, break some stereotypes. Yeah, sure. it breaks yeah. some stereotypes. It was super yeah. awesome. And he goes down as one of the greatest pitchers of all time. And people like Ichiro, who just did the game right early on, I think it was fourth or fifth grade, I did a, did a little project on Ichiro and how to read one of his autobiographies. And just to, just to learn the, the differences between some people you know, to see that some people take the game for granted and Ichiro was, it treats it like, you know, like it is his first love. It really is, you know, like mm-hmm. his wife, you know, gives her the best treatment possible. And that's what he did with baseball. And it was super cool to see how he never took a day for granted. He always worked hard, always put in the extra work and never complained about it. And he did things the right way. And I think that is what really drove me to like Ichiro mm-hmm. early on as well. Yeah. You know, he's, he's one of the great baseball players mm-hmm. of recent times and, you know, just playing as long as he did and yep. now recently retiring with uh the Mariners after having played in Japan during uh the is it was it an actual baseball was it an actual major league official season game or was it a preseason it was a season game mm-hmm. okay yeah. who was that against again God, it was early on it was in Ju- it was in Japan they yeah. played a major league game in Japan Remember mm-hmm. that uh, to start the season out. The Mariners yeah, was, started a couple days earlier than the rest. I couldn't of the remember league. who they played. I wanted but. to say it was the Athletics. Yeah, they played the A's, and they started two days earlier than the rest of the mm-hmm. league. Yeah. And that was, so they played in Japan, and it was pretty cool. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And I, I was in Michigan at the time, and I got up. At, I think it was early, two or three a.m., four a.m., something like that, to watch it because I had to watch Ichiro's last game, and it, mm-hmm. it brought me to tears watching him come off the field for the last time. It was a pretty yeah. special moment. 
For uh, Mariners fans especially. I remember watching Mariano Rivera come off the field the last time. I'm not a big Yankees fan, but I respect talent. And I remember watching Derek Jeter and um, Andy Pettit come out and grab him and bring him off the field. I remember that. That was that was pretty crazy. Um, emotional watch just because he's so dominant for so many years and then he retired. That was pretty interesting. Um, but moving on, we talked offline a little bit about how uh, you did some high school ball at Westland and then you moved over to, to Wilsonville. What was that transition like for you going from one school then having to jump into another school and learning um, from a different coach? Um... It wasn't as difficult as I anticipated. It, I knew some of the people I played like travel ball with them uh, growing mm-hmm. up, so I already had relationships there. It was difficult going to a new coach because they don't understand you, and so I guess some of the immaturities I had as a young as a younger as a younger player mm-hmm. aren't understood the same because you don't have that relationship. So it is a little different in perceptions of you know first perceptions of your teammates that you don't know or the coaches that that don't really know you. It's mm-hmm. it's a little difficult. So you got to kind of ease your way in for anyone that's going going to do that now I would say kind of respect the program you're going to respect the players that are already there and try to you know be a, a silent assassin so to speak of mm-hmm. mind your p's and q's and you'll you know you'll start to slowly mesh in with the team and I think I wish I did that more of just kind of didn't wasn't on my own program and took a step back right because like, you're, you're probably dealing with some kids that are fighting for spots and this right. and that so it's like oh transfer kid you know that's exactly. a little weird yeah. exactly yeah that was probably one of the more difficult parts of it all yeah. was was building the relationships with the people's positions you might be taking mm-hmm. that's where it gets a little uh, difficult yeah you said that in an article that uh, your career didn't take off until high school after um, help from coaches to develop speed and strength. Talk a little bit about about that development and and why you felt like that was your def- your moment where you kind of started accelerating, taking off a little bit more. So I always did baseball Northwest growing up and part of baseball Northwest, they did spark uh, training. Mm-hmm. So they did testing for that stuff. And I always, you know, I had the baseball game, you know, down that part was good, but the the speed that you know the 40 yard dash and the medicine balls throws I just was behind everybody and so I got together with Eric Trice and did a little speed and strength training there and Henry Barrera who I think did a little work with Westland basketball and does stuff with Nike and and whatnot and those guys really helped me to gain a little strength as well as a little speed Mm -hmm. but I think the the thing that helped me the most was getting together with Dave Wong who's Joey Wong's dad in Salem uh the way he broke down hitting and being able to keep my bat flat through the zone as long as possible really mm-hmm. helped me go from someone that, you know, could play a little defense and hit every now and again to someone who could consistently hit all the time, play good defense, pitch. He made me a really well-rounded player, both both on the right side of the plate and on the left side of the plate. When did you start was, switch hitting? Oh, I, I mean, I started doing it, you know, when I was young, probably 13 or 14, mm-hmm. but I didn't really start doing it till college. I, oh, really? I, like, did a little bit in high school, but it was mm. at college where I – it was the summer before college I did it full-time. I was playing for AIM, which is Zane Kelly's organization over in, like, by Jesuit. And I started doing it full-time, and I was doing well, and I decided to commit to it, decided it gave me some extra value. Mm. And, and then I did it full-time and did it in college as well, so – yeah, mm-hmm. I advise it if you're a kid who's trying to become a switch hitter, don't fight it, just do it. And, mm-hmm. and you know, it was because I always was dominant right. I always wanted to hit mm-hmm. right-handed, and I didn't like failing. So, but it's part of the process, and it's all worth it. It's hard, hard to get motivated, uh, you know, kid, when kids get into lifting, generally it's upper body lifting. But in terms of motivation, in terms of spark training and motivation to, to get faster and build lower like core strength and lower body strength, you bought into that? So I did not buy into that in high school. Most teenagers don't. I didn't. And no, my dad, don't. if there's one thing he pushed me on more than, mm-hmm. than going to the cage and getting better was trying to get stronger. Something I didn't. Not didn't, just doing bench press all the time. No. Well, <laughs> I didn't even want to do that. I, I didn't like working out. I, right. I was at the time before all, the, all this data and science stuff is, you know, came out before driveline said lifting's good for pitchers. And, mm-hmm. you know, okay. the stronger you get, the better. I always thought it was more. The more reps you hit in the cage, the better hitter you'll be. But it wasn't until college till I really committed to, mm. to working out hard. And when I did that is when I started seeing real results at the plate, real mm. results on the mound. My fastball velo started going up, and I was consistent. And mm. I was able to repeat my stuff consistently mm-hmm. because my body was in shape, my back was feeling good, you know, my core was strong. 
but if there's one that, if there's one thing I recommend to high school players with an aspiration of playing at the next level is take working out serious just as serious as going to the cage mm-hmm. you know some of those days after games where I went to the cage to take 100 more reps I wish I took my aggression or my frustration out lifting that's mm-hmm. that's the biggest difference I saw having coached high school wrestling for 20 years is and being around that and kids who um like either don't play a sport because they say they're going to lift on their own or just avoid the programs where everyone's lifting together for the team. Oh, I'm going to lift on my, they're not lifting. You know, it's just, and to understand that if, if you want to take it to the next level, committing to that, I mean, um, and just understanding what that is, not, you know, once, once a week, but like committing to a program. Right. Yeah. It's, right. Yeah. You see the difference between kids. You yeah, really no, do. absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. And you can see the difference in high schoolers. There are just some guys that look different than people mm-hmm. and it's not, you know, some of it's, you know, God saying, you know, you're welcome, but some of it's people work hard yeah. and yeah. people yeah. are in the gym every morning before yeah. they go to school and then they go to baseball. And it's, it's something I wish I did more. I wish there was more information back then, you know, with the whole arm care thing. I wish that I knew more about that, but you know, that's all in the past, you know, mm-hmm. can't do much about that. Who's your head coach in Wilsonville? Uh, Matt Kosdurka. So what? he's at Lewis and Clark. I th- right now what's the uh what's what's one thing that you'll learn from him that you continue to carry with you to this day so one thing cause which we called him cause uh stressed was coming together as a team it's just always a struggle to take a high school team in our situation where there were like three or four or five new guys Mm. coming in and bring them together Mm -hmm. so it wasn't perfect but one thing he did was always I forgot what day it was of the week, but we always had dinner together at his house and his wife would make these awesome Rice Krispies, these, these chocolate and, <laughs> and normal Rice Krispies that we would all, you know, they were to die for. And it, it, it kind of made me realize the importance of coming together as a group. I remember some of my best teams in college was the teams that were the closest, not the most talented. Yeah. So that's one thing I learned. I don't think we understood it in high school, but looking back on it, I appreciate a coach who took the time to really do that and invite us into his home and show us what family's all about. Yeah. What about leadership? Like what leadership, one leadership aspect did you learn from him other than that creating the family environment, you know, being close knit together? Is there like a leadership thing that stuck out to you um, that, that he also did like on the field, like when you're, you're either like practice or during games or something like that? I guess the one thing that sticks out to me is that he he talked the talk and so and he walked he walked the walk basically mm-hmm. so you know he would tell us to do things and get better and run and whatnot but he would also do that you know mm-hmm. he he was a big he always Example. kept up in his his running and mm-hmm. I know he, he he went played up to triple a and he had a good career and it's one of those things that I don't think he would tell you something that he wouldn't do himself mm-hmm. and that's where you can really gain some respect is instead of just telling people to do things, you're actually doing the things you're telling people to do. I, I can, yeah. At coaching teenagers and coaching wrestling, getting, getting out on the mat and doing and working out and doing a little bit, even a little bit of the mm-hmm. conditioning with them. It goes a long way when you, right. when you actively involve, you know, right. whether you're drilling or going live or whatever. Right. Yeah, we would no, do these yeah. uh, team runs in the off season and he would always be a part of it. You know, he That's wouldn't huge. be waiting, at, you know, to start and then waiting at the end. He would do it, too, and he would try to beat us. And, it, you know, he, I think it was one of those another things that we run as a team. And so we're running together, mm-hmm. but he's also pushing us to compete harder yeah. and do better than we did before. And so that was always cool, too. So it's a little bit of healthy, healthy competition between right. the coach and the players right. and showing you that, like, I could do anything that you can, but I'm also willing to get out there and do it. So if I'm willing to get out there and do it, you, you know, you sure as well better come along, too. Especially 16, in a sport yeah. like baseball that's rife with, you know, perceived politics, with, with um, every, everyone's battling for position, everyone's battling for this and that. It's, it's almost like that's a necessity, right, in terms of buying into what the coach is saying because it's, it's so easy to just, to, just uh, to, to blame and finger point and to, to check out of what the coach is saying. It's very easy to do. I've seen it in, in baseball. So yeah. that's cool that he did that. Yeah, absolutely. I agree. Yeah. So you got some interesting accolades in high school. I mean, what, what, let me ask you this quick question before we transition to that. Was it What year did you transfer over to Wilsonville? So it was my sophomore year. I graduated in 2013 mm-hmm. so 2011 
maybe. So your sophomore year? I, I played, no, it was my junior year. So okay. you played going freshman in, and sophomore so year. So the, really the reason why I asked this question is because uh, you, you were all league and second team all state honors as a junior. And so this comes with actually that transition from one program to another. So I wanted to ask because, you know, some of that, some of your accolades that you got in high school was being all league and second all state honors as a junior. And then um, you were also in Northwest Oregon Conference Pitcher of the Year. Uh, you had honorable mention as a senior for amateur, in the Amateur Baseball Report. Uh, All League in West Re- Regional honorable mention as a senior. And said you were a 10th ranked prep in Oregon by Baseball Northwest in 2013. Damn. Uh, you know, in 2012, you were a Baseball All-Star and Pitcher of the Year in 5A in 2012. So I was like looking up some of your, you know, your historical um, no, stuff. So, with that transition, you know, I, I don't know. I think it's pretty phenomenal going from one program to another, mm-hmm. and then it, having these achievements that you did. So, congratulations on that front. Thank you, thank you. Yeah, um, I guess going from five A to going from six A to five A, there's just definitely a different competition. Mm-hmm. But I just think from sophomore, as a sophomore, I played on varsity at Westland. I had a I had a good season. I think I was honorable mention as a second baseman. That's cool. And that was a great team. You know, there was a Riley Wilkerson was on the team. He played at Oregon State, and we could have gone on a, on a deep run, but we just lost our first round to Jesuit. I don't think we you know we weren't supposed to lose that game, but mm-hmm. but we did. Um, you know, so I was getting better. I, I you know I think I would have had good success at Westland too, but going t- from Growing a year from Westland to Wilsonville, I was able to mm-hmm. get better, get a little stronger, get a little, you know, get a little bigger, and I was able to be a better pitcher. And yeah. some of those teams in, in the in that conference, in that five A Wilsonville conference, you know, weren't nearly as good as the worst team, you know, in six A. So mm-hmm. it was a little easier competition, but there was still some great talent. Uh, I mean, that when I was co-pitcher of the year, I was co-pitcher of the year that year mm-hmm. with Keenan Middleton. That's right. So, yeah. you know, he's a closer for the Angels right now. So, yeah. pretty good company. Which, yeah. you know, what, you see claim it, to fame. what you see at 5A is you'll, you don't have the depth. Right. But what you'll see is you'll see a few studs maybe on each team. Right. Like legit, two mm-hmm. or three really tough, legit guys. But you don't have, what you don't have is the one through nine necessarily or the one yeah. through seven. You don't have quite the depth at 5A. But there's quality players. Yeah. There quality players at I mean, 5A. I, I, think, um, I think setting aside the 5A or 6A. It's just a numbers game. Yeah, yeah, yeah I really think setting is. aside that numbers game, you know, 5A, 6A. But, but to me, going from one program to another and making that transition mm-hmm. and still being able to do this. Well, actually doing this. I thought was was really you know great of you, and, and I just wanted to, you know commend you for for being able to do that just because of that transition. I know not a lot of people like can make that transition and still be successful or even more successful than they they have they were previously. So I, that's that's my big thing that I want to get cool. across. Thank you, I appreciate who that. Do, who'd you do your summer ball with after your sophomore year? Okay, so after my sophomore year, who did I do my summer ball with? Was it with a club or was it, was it? So I did my summer ball with probably, you know, that year I don't remember, but mm. going into my senior year, I did it with Trotsky baseball, which was out, in, out of California. Mm. And that's when I started trying to, you know, get more looks into mm-hmm. colleges and trying to, I really had the dream to go to California school. Okay. Yeah. That, that's what I really wanted to do. I wanted to get out of Oregon. Um, and so I played with this Trotsky. I got really lucky. I don't know why. I got put on the good team. I didn't even have to try out. Don't know how hmm. it happened. I'm I, honestly, I mean, played with. I think every single guy on that team, except maybe two of them, went D1. And Whew. you know, there were a couple first rounders. Matt Crook was on that team. He went to Oregon, first rounder out of there. Jordan Paraback, I think, was a supplemental pick. He, he signed out of high school. And there was probably, you know, Colin Thoreau was just, I think. Uh, uh, Two A All Star, uh, a Double A All Star, mm. and so there was some some good studs. So beyond that team, I was able to get around a lot of a lot of uh, coaches, a lot of mm-hmm. uh, and got exposed a little bit. And that's how I was able to end up getting to like Sac State and and whatnot out of high or out of high school, and then I ended up transferring to Chico yeah. from there. But so you, you've talked about playing second base. You also talked about pitching. Um, but what point, you know, did you you know, decide like hey, I want to do X, I want to do X or Z. You know, like, what point did you decide like I want to be a pitcher or I want to be a you know infielder or outfielder? And so I was at Sac State. I went out, I went to Sac State out of high school, mm-hmm. and 
from there, I think they were recruiting me more as a pitcher, but they were giving me an opportunity to go two-way. And I think I surprised them a little bit, and I hit better than they expected, hmm. and, and I pitched worse than they anticipated. <laughs> my, I, I got some tendonitis after my, at the end of my senior year in my elbow, or in my shoulder. I had some tricep tendonitis issues. And I was never really able, I didn't really recover the right way. I, I didn't really know how. There really mm-hmm. wasn't you know, the stuff out there like there is today. And I didn't pitch well. I wasn't throwing very hard, but I was hitting better. And it was just kind of an odd situation for them. And I think I was going to end up redshirting. And that's when I said, I don't really want a redshirt. I also want to stay going two ways. I think they wanted to push me towards being a pitcher. Okay. And so then they started, they helped me out. They reached out to some of the D2 teams around the state. Chico State responded almost immediately. I was able to go there and they said, yeah, you can do both here. That's awesome. So I did both at Chico my freshman year. I only pitched four innings. I got, I think I had 55 at bats. Yeah. My sophomore year at about 80, 81 at bats. And I pitched like 60 innings. That's crazy. My junior year, I pitched 100 innings, but I only had one at bat. That's when it stopped. My senior year, I got another at bat, but it was in regionals. I got lucky. He just wanted to throw a guy out there, and Mm -hmm. I've you know had some success in the past for him. So I was able to get an at bat every single year in college. I I always consider myself a two way. I never really had (laughs) to stop doing one or the other, which was super cool and and rare these days. Everyone has to pick. Matheson out of West Lynn is an anomaly. I mean, you just don't see that. Well, we're going to get a little bit more into your college college career, and and, and I want to talk a little bit about recruiting. But, uh, you know, after we take a break, but I want to get into, I like to have my three question segment get a little, get to know more about you, Clayton. Um, So first question is, if we're on a bus and we're traveling on the road, baseball teams all together, and we have this stereo system going, what are you listening to? What's everybody listening to per per your request? Oh, per my request. Miley Cyrus party in the USA. Yeah. Oh, sorry, that was on my Fourth of July playlist. <laughs> that's not. That's a great song. <laughs> it's so. probably like Oombop. Yeah, and that little Hanson. Yeah, Hanson. yeah. I don't know. On our bus rides, most people, you know, would have their headphones in. But I guess if there was one, one, uh, one type of music, it'd probably be rap. A lot of people, rap or country. Mm-hmm. I don't know that those would both be big, big hits on on my team. Yeah. But yeah, most most guys didn't. We didn't really ever have that kind of sound system like going everyone was doing their own thing but definitely rapper country <laughs> if if you could have a specific superhero ta- superhero talent what would it be i think flying would be super cool yeah, yeah. i think just being able to fly and get places without having to walk would be awesome mm-hmm. yeah it's hard to pick though there's so many What's one random talent that means absolutely nothing, but it's like one random talent that you have that nobody knows about? Oh or that people know about but, but makes you unique. Yeah. Talent. One, one kind of weird, maybe off-the-cuff skill, mm-hmm. maybe something surprising or some, some, some bit, of, bit of knowledge you have or aptitude or anything like that. I, I honestly wish I was more talented than I am. Um, let me let me think. Let me think. I know for myself, like one random thing that I do is I remember movie quotes. Like for some unknown reason, it's something that like remember. I love quoting Major League and Airplane, so it's like some stupid random thing that I have. What about you, Dave? Poor personal hygiene, a talent. <laughs> That's I'm good with that. You know what? Yeah. I'm good with that. '80s music trivia. Mm-hmm. Like 80s music trivia. I'm, I'm good with that. You are. So it could be something knowledge-based. It could be something physical-based. It could be uh, some some massive hobby right, in your I have life. A good one. Okay, here it is. I'm really good at remembering parts of songs. So, so like, I remember you, you give one line of a song. I might know a few words of it, mm-hmm. but, but it will sound like I know it, you know? So I can't ever remember full songs. It might be because I'm just not listening well, <laughs> but I can remember parts of all the songs I listen to. Oh, really? I just can't remember it a, at all. There's a, so it's that's like a, a weird talent I have. <laughs> like a modified karaoke genius. Like a, I don't know, yeah. It's exactly, the, those shows where you have to... Abbreviated karaoke genius. You know those shows where you have to finish? Yeah. I yeah. would fail. I would, I, would, I would have like, it would almost sound the right, but it would be like three words off and two of the words would be right. Yeah. That's but awesome. it would rhyme. But in your head, it'd be like... It's right. Yeah. Yeah. That's exactly. cool. Last question before we take a quick break. Your getting introduced to go up to the plate major league baseball game what's your entrance music mm, sunshine by modest yahoo oh. that was one of my songs that was one of my walkout your songs cultural heritage coming yeah, in yeah huh? it's a great song go. and i don't remember who showed it to me but i remember i someone showed it to me in high school 
someone might have used it in a recruiting video in high school, and mm. then from there it was like, hmm. I just find cool. I get like some peace, some relaxation when I hear mm. that song. And when I was on the mound, I'm a very uptight person. Yeah, I needed that. Dave's cool. using like a virgin coming out. You know, <laughs> hey now. <laughs> All right. That's for the very first time. <laughs> Sorry. We're going to end on that. Yeah. <laughs> we're gonna, on that note, we're going to take a quick break and we'll right. be right back. It's a family show. <laughs> Sick of overpriced apparel and equipment? Looking for a company who prides themselves in quality products and services? Look no further than our friends at Hit Factory Athletics. Created by a pro ball player born purely from the love of the game, they exist to serve players and fans of the game. Take it from me, Ben. Hit Factory Athletics prides itself in quality and service. Head on over and check them out at www.hitfactoryathletics.com. That's www.hitfactoryathletics.com. At checkout, enter promo code DRPODCAST. That is D-R-P-O-D-C-A-S-T and receive a 10% discount upon checkout. Join the legends with Hit Factory Athletics. All right, we're back. Uh, we're here with Clayton Gelfland, of, uh, who's, who's here today in baseballism, and we are recording once again. And we've just uh, heard a lot about his uh, career up to high school and a little bit of college. And we're going to back jump into college right now. Uh, but Clayton, thank you once again for joining us. We really appreciate it. Um, so let's talk about your. You, you talked. To, you started talking about this already. Your going to college you said you had a little bit of issues with your shoulder at the end of your high school year or career sorry and um so you said something about chico state but looking at some of the other universities what was that recruiting experience like and kind of where you said you were thinking of going to a california school but what was like you know if you could have chosen any school which would it have been and kind of talk a little bit about uh you know that the college recruiting time for you. Okay, so I'll start off with the, if I could pick any school, which one would it have been? I think out of high school, I would have loved to have gone to Stanford. Mm-hmm. The academics there, uh, it's hard to beat, and uh, the baseball there, it's hard to beat. As you can see, this past year they had a great year, and just the the stadium, it's hard to beat. Everything there, the coaching, it's hard to beat. It's a great experience. Um, but the overall, the 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 recruiting process was it was interesting. I wasn't a top recruit by any means. Um, I was a guy that had a good GPA, so I could get into a lot of schools. Uh, I got recruited to some, some, you know, some, uh, I guess better academic schools like Holy Cross. Had an opportunity mm-hmm. to play there, mm-hmm. and sometimes I wish I went there just because academics. It's a great school, and you know they they do well in the Patriot League. And other schools like had an offer from Abilene Christian. Um, at one point, had one from UP. I originally committed to St. Mary's. Mm. I ended up backing out of that. I mm-hmm. wasn't. Uh, I wasn't as into it after I went on my visit. It, you went to Moraga. It just it out. wasn't a good fit for me. Well, I don't think. Huh. Um, so I'm glad that didn't work out. Honestly, um, yeah. Other than that, that you know, Sac State, you know, gave me a scholarship. But that was after they were recruiting my catcher, who Gunnar Pullman, who's now with the Marlins organization, and mm. they came to watch him. And that was the same day I pitched, or or it was. I was in one of his recruiting videos as a pitcher, and they said, mm-hmm. who's that? And then got the opportunity with Sac State, and I really liked you know, Reggie, and that was awesome, and it was a good relationship, so I ended up committing there. But overall, kind of the whole, you know, what, what to take from that experience would be is that a lot of the coaches are recruiting a lot of people from all over, and they're telling them a lot of the same things, and every family and every kid wants to believe that they are their number one recruit they mm-hmm. are their only pitcher they're recruiting or whatever they want to tell you but you have to understand that it's a business and they have they understand that not everyone they offer not everyone that they provide an opportunity is going to take it mm-hmm. so they have to tell you that you're the number one to, to they have to hedge you, their bets you know yeah. to, to, to 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 come and so it's it's a tough process it's uh you know kind of a savage process at times and it's unfortunate but I think people have to be honest about the situation and understand that there is good baseball everywhere you go and mm-hmm. you don't limit yourself to just division one I. I think that was one of my faults in high school was I was so focused on going d1 that I probably passed up opportunities with other schools that yeah. I, I you know I probably would have thrived in and, and I think like that's why I was able to develop so much was going to a d2 after going to a d1 I got more playing time I was able to see the field more I got to see more pitches and mm-hmm. I think like if I knew what I knew now 
I would have opened up my recruiting to a, all of these different schools mm-hmm. all over, you know, like UCSD and Point Loma, all, you know, all these D2 California schools that I didn't yeah. even think about. I didn't even consider, mm-hmm. you know, I didn't even consider Chico State. I didn't even know what Chico State was until I was trying to transfer. Yeah. And it ended up being the best thing for me. So that's what we've heard in the past from a couple other people is one, just to keep your options open. And two, one, don't burn any bridges, you know, with all right. of these because you never know when it like, comes full circle. Um, but why why do why do kids commit so early like at like sophomore year I'm seeing like sophomore year a lot of like young baseball players are committing at the end of that why is it so early I think it's ego really uh, yeah mm-hmm. I believe it's ego I don't think there's any reason there's no need because you're only gonna get better mm-hmm. you know if you're good enough to play then you know you're probably if you're good enough if you're at 15 and, and they recruit you to be a pitcher it's probably because you throw 88 to 90 miles an hour as a 14 year old or a 15 year old mm-hmm. and you're only going to get better and if you don't you still have that opportunity in your back pocket and if it's a school and they're saying hey you have this opportunity with us but you only have this much time to to let us know when you're 14 years old if that's the case then it's probably not a program you want to play at yeah you know you don't want someone that's going to pressure you. you you know you want someone that's going to be have your best interests in mind and and that mm-hmm. means seeing the full process through talking with other schools I, I think just don't be hasty I was I was that kid I wanted to commit to a D1 school so bad so I could post it on you know Facebook I think mm-hmm. it was Facebook at the yeah. time so I could tell my friends I was committed so I could you know have that day at school where I had signed mm-hmm. but it's really I'm telling you it's a much bigger decision than than what people make it out to be some people end up going to schools in who knows where mm-hmm. because they just wanted to sign a letter of intent and post on you know their story but sometimes the best opportunities are later yeah and you just got to be patient do you th- and, and let me go a little bit personal too here because you said you you uh, committed to St. Mary's but then it wasn't until you went and actually visited the campus itself and, and saw the facilities that you then said oh this isn't for me you know do you, do you feel like you maybe were a little quick too quick to rush to judgment on on committing because just basically like what you were just saying is is like taking the time letting the process play out do you think you, you rushed the judgment too quickly absolutely I, I do think I rushed the judgment too quickly and it and, and I also got a feeling like dirt when I was committed is that these coaches before I saw before I like any of the signing stuff happened, you know, they would follow up on where I was playing or what I was doing. And if I didn't have a good, good weekend, they mm-hmm. kind of were like, you know, what's going on? Why were I, you know, I got reports that you were only 86 miles an hour this weekend, you know, what's going on. And I just got, kind of got the feeling that like, if I w- not what they expected, then I would, uh, I'll just be, you know. I'll, I'll be banged from the program and you're not going to get and, a second chance and they it's don't like, care, you know, and it's expendable. like, expendable. Yeah. yeah expendable. I felt like I was expendable. I wasn't, you know, they weren't like trying to help me. They were kind of always on, on me. And, and when I went on my visit, I don't, it was like a, a big weekend. It was like alumni weekend and there was stuff going on with, uh, uh, scrimmages and whatnot. Mm-hmm. But I think I maybe talked to the coaches once though for three days the, uh, the uh, volunteer coach that picked me up, I believe he was the volunteer coach, didn't even know my name. He didn't even know who he was picking up. Oh, and so I'll never forget that. Mm-hmm. And, and, and because it's, it's like, who does that? I, I'm coming, I'm committing myself to play for you guys for four years and give everything I have to you guys. And the least you could do would be just to know who street. you're picking up. Yeah. You know, because they got to commit too. It's, it's, and so I, everything happens for a reason. I backed out of that. Mm-hmm. And yeah. yeah. The social media platform, this ego thing, I see it, um, and, and again, it's, it's a social media thing, um, and the obsession with D1, and the obsession with having having your day and having your moment, it's pretty it's pretty crazy, even crazier now than when you were in school. My, my daughter's friends who are, you know, play sports at West Lynn, and, and, you know, in terms of, okay, so maybe you do go D1, and, and again, you don't even, you're just another, just another number, and maybe you don't see the field at all, maybe a little bit your senior year or whatnot, as opposed to getting to play right away, right? That's, do you really want to play? And do you really want, you know, it's, so it's interesting, uh, ego and status, how that, how that, how that, that really more in the last 20 years, I think, than ever um, with regard to recruiting and, and early signees and this and that, you know, immaturity and, and that, that. And yeah, it's, it's interesting to hear you talk about that because it's, you know, there's a lot more out there, you know? But there's again, kids get of, so caught up yeah. in that. Mm-hmm. There's a ton of D1 schools. There's a ton of D2 schools out there. There's a ton of opportunities. And if yeah. you don't, and if you don't, you know, if you're not there right now, JC, 
you know, like there's a ton of great JC players yeah, out there. Yeah. Especially you know, in this area, Lynn yeah. Benton. Yeah. yeah. You know, there, there's opportunity and, and, and if you take that opportunity as two years to grow and really improve and get stronger, mm-hmm. you're going to be in great position to start right as a junior. So, cause you're getting reps, you're playing a lot. You're, mm-hmm. If you're a pitcher, you're throwing a lot of innings, you're getting a lot of ABs and that's really, you know, how, I mean, you watch those MLB players, those rookies, you know, they get better. Those really good rookies, yeah. they get better because they just the game slows down for them. And I'm looking at the Mar- the Mariners' young players, how much better they are now than they were three two months ago. Look at yeah. Vogelbach last year versus yeah. this year. Yeah, you know, I know oh, he's yeah. not having a great year, but he's still an All Star this yeah. year, and it's he's just going to get better. It's because you play the game more, you get more mm-hmm. opportunities, yep. and it slows down. Yeah, Alex Smith, JP Crawford, all they're just yeah, JP you can Crawford. see you can see him get better in two months. Yeah, yeah. through the reps. Yeah, I mean it's yeah. So let's transition into Chico State. Um, you you play for the Wildcats. Uh, you were uh, business management while you were there. Um, you were first team all CCAA and all West region in 2016. You led all pitchers in wins, ERA, strikeouts, and innings pitch. Um, in 2014, you, you were the Northwest region champions. And uh, as a freshman, you batted 345. I mean, that, you know, you talked about how your your shoulder was bothering you a little bit. You know, in high school, his senior year, and then you really focused in on batting and how they really developed you. And um, so, talk a bit about Chico State, what that experience was like for you. So, it's very similar to the high school conversation we had earlier about transitioning from one school to another. I had to do the same situation in college, mm-hmm. and this one's a little harder. It's because you kind of, I mean, I don't think everyone realizes this. I should have realized it more, but when you're a freshman, you're going into a program and people have put in time and effort and sweat to making it, you know, where they are today. They don't want new people coming in and being selfish and causing issues. And, mm-hmm. you know, I, I kind of went into Chico with this attitude that I was, oh, I'm, I was a D1 player. I'm coming mm-hmm. down. I'm, I'm, you know, I'm going to start right away. I'm going to play this, this, and this, you know, and, and, and I think you get humbled a little bit you know, cause yeah. you realize you're not that good when you go to D2 and then, you know, people are getting on you a little bit more than before because, you know, you have this ego. And so, you know, as a freshman, I was able to come into a program that was really senior driven. There was a mm-hmm. lot of seniors. I got an opportunity. There was a spot, you know, for someone who could come in and pinch hit or DH if needed. Mm-hmm. I only threw a, f- a few innings, maybe four. I wasn't really I didn't really have my pitching skills honed in yet. I really wasn't a mature pitcher. I was still kind of a high school arm that just wanted to throw. Mm-hmm. You know, I was a shortstop growing up, so I didn't really ever focus on pitching. Yeah, I had a few lessons here and there, and I did it in, in high school, but I, I thought I was a shortstop. And it, so my freshman year, I hit a lot. I, it was a great opportunity. I started buying into my role, maybe not as much as I should have, but the reason why that team was so good that year when we went to a World Series was because everyone bought into the role. We had guys that got seven at-bats, wasted a redshirt year just because he needed a bunt five times. <laughs> he didn't care. Wow. He didn't care. You know, he That's played left field, maybe two innings, but his bunts were huge. Those are things that really took us yeah. to the next level. Is That's like ultimate buy-in. And I think that's one of the lessons I learned that year. Looking back on it now, I should have looked, you know, been more selfless. And I think mm-hmm. that's where the 360 goes to my senior year where you know you learn a lot but yeah as a freshman I hit and not for power much but great contact didn't strike out very much got on base did what the coach needed me to do and Mm -hmm. I traveled on all the travel trips and got to go to a world series which was probably one of the coolest experiences of my life it's nothing like you know Omaha but Mm -hmm. still to know that you're the best in the region is something pretty special so. Yeah, that's really interesting that you're able to um, have that experience as a, a new player, a new system. Uh, who was your coach um, at Chico? So Dave Taylor, mm-hmm. he was as old school as it gets. Mm-hmm. You know, tough, tough guy. Um, man, I love hate relationship with Dave. <laughs> um, <laughs> I have a love-hate relationship with Dave. Yeah, yeah who doesn't? But, but yeah. it's 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 like that's it's one of those things where still to this day I don't even know you know do I like him? Do I not like him? Mm-hmm. But he pushed me, yeah. and somehow he found a way to get the best out of me, and I really improved. Mm-hmm. I don't know, you know, I don't think a lot of the ways he did it was the way I would do it, but he did it, and mm-hmm. you know there were some stories I could sell, maybe you know not on here, but <laughs> of, of just how old school he was, and yeah. you know he was very. 
you know, he liked the way he did things and he didn't mm. like change. So, you know, I was starting driveline. I was, I did driveline early on, like really early on mm. back when they weren't nearly as big as they were back when they were using like a one tunnel facility driveline, like the sports science facility out of baseball science. I, I don't know what you want to consider out of mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. Seattle. Um, so, you know, he was very iffy about that stuff that I was doing and very iffy on like, you know, uh, those, uh, things that help your arm. So just like recovery tools and, yeah. you know, they were big, uh, Oh, your arm sore, ice and Advil, yeah, you know, right. there's, that's it. That was the solution. So old school in that way of, mm-hmm. I was looking at things differently and real like specifically of like, Hey, but there's data on this that says mm-hmm. this could help me. And, but it's like, no, this is, we win this way. Yeah. This is how we win. And it shows because when he says, Hey, you know, out of the last 18 years, we've gone to nine world series. You're going to, you, if you're here for four years, you're going to go to two, two world series. What am I supposed to stay and say, my way is better. I, you know, it's yeah. hard. Yeah. So you have to buy in and if it ain't broke, don't fix it. Yeah. Exactly. And yeah. I think like that's part, part of why they're good every year and mm-hmm. part of why they aren't, you know, winning world series every here's, year. Here's what we talked about and here's what we found out and having coached this, this whole notion of old school versus new school. Mm-hmm. And a lot of the coaching mentality transitions in the seventies and eighties where some coaches embraced understanding the individual psychology of a kid and the individual mo- motivation of a kid, as mm-hmm. opposed to a one size fits all approach, very uncompromising, very um, regimented in terms of these are the standards for all of you. And I'm going to treat you all the same, not necessarily equally or equitably, but the same as well. Um, whereas that coaching transition in the 80s, we heard that from Mr. Gatto. Yeah. Uh, and it was uh, about understanding that each kid is motivated differently mm-hmm. and the buttons need to be pressed differently and they need different things. Whereas before that was viewed as being soft, you know, in terms of the coaching world, that was viewed as being soft. And it's interesting having experienced some of both in, in my coaching experience, in my, the, the old school way and the new school way in terms of understanding how culture shifts and generations shift, but, but kids and their different motivations because you were very, very different than 10, 15 other kids on your team, right? And the buttons, right? And, and what, what you respond and react to. And having seen it with my own 14-year-old, it's, it's this transition in coaching, you know, with, with these labels, right? Old school or new school or um, understanding the individual motivations of a kid and, and being willing, willing to reflect and, and compromise a little bit on what you thought was right and, and evolve a little bit. But it's hard when you're winning and, and you've won and, and you're consistently winning to make those changes because you justify it. Well, we're, we're, we're winning. We're having success. But the question is, can you have more success, right? Yeah, and that's what you're getting at. Yeah, and, and yeah. that's the thing is, as I think, like he, he he doesn't, you know, why exactly? Like why change it if it makes if sense if in working. a way? But yeah. yeah, but that's also part of the problem is I think we had guys that were really good players that it just wasn't working for him the mm. way he coached or the way he would mm. approach you know issues he had with players or like if you didn't get your job done the way he would react to it. You know, some people like me, it just f- lights a fire under, under, under yeah. my butt and, and I get, you know, I kind of can use that. Mm-hmm. You some know, kids to, will to shut be down. Better. Some kids exactly. will shut down a little bit. Some, yeah. people, yep. some people struggle and it mm-hmm. gets them scared to fail. Right. So yeah. Oh, yeah. I, I never was scared of him because I was like, okay, he's going to yell. It's, if, I, if I screw up, he's going to yell at me and he's going to forget about it and he's going to move on. You know, I, I understood it wasn't personal, mm-hmm. so that's why I respected him. That's a huge I, thing, though, understanding it's not personal. Right. Because if, but but if some you, kids are capable of understanding that, and some kids aren't. aren't. Yeah, right. that's they, exactly They think they can, but they can't. You know, they can't yeah. understand that it's not personal. Because I, I learned that in the are. military. It's, it's just not, who they are. Yeah. yeah, I learned that big thing in the military. Don't take it personal because it's just, you know, they're there to do their job and, and to, 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 to help you grow and develop, but sometimes weed out. But, you, you experienced that in youth ball. I mean, yeah. when you're playing, you know, you're playing little league ball, Cal Ripken, whatnot, and JBO or whatever you guys were doing there, and you, you saw how. I mean, some kids are more can just handle it differently. Kids are different. It's, it's the same in college. I mean, yeah, that's crazy, and the kids would respond differently to mm-hmm. that style of coaching. Right, yeah. right, and I think like when you have like for my freshman year, when you have 17 seniors, I, I think it was something crazy like that. They understood him. Mm-hmm. They, they, they knew who he was. If they'd stuck around, they'd learn. <laughs> right, right. So you yeah. know, if you were around, yeah. like, that's why I didn't take, you know, what he said personal. And I, I knew, you know, if I'm getting yelled at, there was a reason for it. Even though I don't like being yelled at, I don't want to be yelled at. Mm-hmm. But I tried to reflect on it. And, and, and I probably knew that I screwed up before he even had to yell at me. So it's one of those things where, you know, if, if you're able to self-reflect and figure out the issue quickly, you'll know that 
okay, this is what's coming to me, mm -hmm. but don't take it personal. He probably forgot about it five minutes later. He's on to the next problem anyways. Yeah. yeah. But I think it, is a, it was a positive in some situations and a negative in some situations. I think for the guys that are JC guys, it's tougher for them. The guys that are four-year four -year guys, you're able to really observe for a yeah. while. And I was a four-year guy, so I was able to really learn yeah. from, I mean, I think I was mm -hmm. there for, he has over 500 wins at Chico, and I think I was there for nearly 150 of them. So, yeah. you know, it was a crazy ride with Dave. So. Um, he said this about you in an article that I read. He said, your success is attributed to your command of the strike zone as well as his reliable pitches. So that's what he said about you in an article. And you also said um, your, your strategy on throwing strikes. So I thought it was interesting. You said, sit on the outside corners because that is hard to hit even when hitters are ready. Right. I... I, I don't know if all of what he said is true because <laughs> when I was successful that one year, my junior year, I threw predominantly fastballs. I didn't have good off-speed pitch. That was my one downside. If, mm -hmm. if that was what's going to stop me from getting to the next level, if it wasn't injury, it was my, my secondary pitches. I was competitive with my fastball. I, I had like near, nearly 90 strikeouts, but I think also I had a one to two walk ratio, mm -hmm. so it wasn't that great. But it was almost effectively wild as I would sit on the outside. I, my goal was to sit on the outside corner. Um, Hitters just didn't have the discipline to go opposite field. I had a they little cutter. Yeah. It had a little cut to it. So okay. it was mm -hmm. real difficult to square up a lot of the time. And the mm -hmm. way I pitched was kind of three quarters. So it was coming like that way. And so, yeah. you know, when you're sitting 89, 91, 92, you know, getting up to 93 at that level, you can really, too. That's crazy. You can yeah. really challenge yeah. some guys. And, That's a heater. And I remember Jerry Weinstein, who coached me when I was in the Cape, he's like 60-something percent of hard hit balls are outs. So mm -hmm. you attack the zone, let hitters hit the ball. Most of the time, it's going to be an out anyways. Yeah. You just got to trust your stuff. You know, it's easier said than done. Trust me. Everyone mm -hmm. who says throwing strikes is easy, they try and they don't. And that's yeah. why they took batting, batting average out as really the indicator of a hitter and use quality of bat rate, mm -hmm. right? I mean, how many hard smashes to the third baseman or, you know, yeah, yeah it's just crazy. So, yeah. Ooh, we're going to get into the cape because I want to well, hear we're about gonna the get cape. Just a but it, the last thing is, is that you believed at one point your slider was the most important pitch in your arsenal and used primary for strikeouts. And I read that in one of the, one of the articles from Chico. Um, so talk to us just briefly about why you felt like your slider was your, your most important pitcher. I think early on in, during that season, I had a good secondary pitch, mm -hmm. but I think I started losing it as my arm started getting fatigued, my body started getting fatigued. I wasn't repeating my delivery as much. You know, I only had two really bad games, but I could mm -hmm. have gotten out of those bad games like with giving up runs if I probably had another secondary pitch to go with it. Yeah. I, it was a real difficult to only pitch with the fastball later in the season. Early in the season, it's real easy. Mm -hmm. Hitters aren't on time. You know, most teams in, in, in our league see maybe one guy on their team, one to two guys that are throwing low 90s consistently at that time. So it's really easy to take advantage of hitters not being ready. Later in the season, like my last start was in regionals. Yeah. And I had a you know, same issues, like sort of good command, sort of not, but I was just getting hit. I was getting touched up because I just couldn't command any other pitches. Mm -hmm. So when my slider was on early on in the season, it was a good pitch to set up pitch or a good strikeout pitch. But later on, it started not working as well. And yeah. that's when I started, you know, giving up more runs late and mm -hmm. not being able to get out of, you know, giving up a, a walk early on or something like that, which mm -hmm. early on in the season I was able to do because I could just beat some guys. I knew that the on-base percentage or the, or the uh, batting average against, I think was at one point under 200 mm -hmm. for guys against me. And I realized like based on stats that most, you know, if I just throw strikes, they're not gonna get a hit based on stats. Yeah. Based on the, the, what stats tells me is if I can do what I do, I, I you know, they're already, already hitting less than what I'm already giving up, so. So at this point, it's just like, make them hit the ball. Right. You know, make them try to hit the ball. Mm -hmm. I'll pitch you all day, but make them try to hit Right, it. and that doesn't work at all scenarios. You know, if I go, mm -hmm. if, I mean, you, you, we'll get into it, an outing in the Cape when we talk about yeah. it. And not, well, Daisy where, over here foaming at the oh, mouth. Oh, man, Cape Cod League baseball. I was in Cape Cod, uh, and, and we didn't go to a game. And then I'm like, we were in there for like a family reunion about, phew, must have been about 10 years ago, mm -hmm. 15 years ago. Like, why didn't I go to a game? I read a book about Cape Cod League baseball. You're probably going just back. drunk. 
Maybe. Or arrested again. Or passed out. Perhaps, yeah. Incarceration. Incarceration. In the back of the vehicle. But yeah, Cape Cod League baseball, huge. Yeah. Got to get into that. So let's talk a little bit about uh, your your Cape Cod League. You play, is it, it's the Wareham Gateman? Yeah, the Wareham Gateman. Yeah. Yeah. So they're in the Cape Cod League. Uh, If you don't know about Wareham's in Massachusetts, um, it's a collegiate summer baseball. Uh, It's in the West Division. Uh, You played at Clem's Spelling Field. Uh, uh, Spillane. Each, Spillane, each of yeah. the small towns in the Cape has their own baseball yeah. team, and there's what, like eight so, of them or something? Eight of them about, yeah. 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 And they some, each have their own ball team. Some notable apart. alumni. It's pretty uh, cool. Some no- notable alumni are Carlos Pena, BJ Serhoff, Nick Swisher, Movon, Barry Zito, and Jason Veritek. Chuck Knobloch. Jason Veritek Jason from Veritek. the Boston Red Sox. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think stats say like one in six people who play in the Cape play in the major leagues. It's crazy. Mm-hmm. I mean, it, I, like, I think it was one in two get. Get get drafted. Yeah, so it's nice. so talk to us yeah. about your experience. Uh, I mean, I to to this day it is the best baseball experience I've ever had. Mm-hmm. It's one of those experiences that you're just like you feel grateful to be a part of. Yeah. So I was originally supposed to spend that summer in somewhere in Georgia playing for the oh, in Savannah, Georgia playing for the Savannah Bananas, which was a <laughs> new team, awesome. which was <laughs> a new awesome. team out there, which is a, you know, they have real fun uh, marketing, mm-hmm. r- real cool stuff out there. Kind of low, low yeah. single A ball, just like, well, no, uh, summer, 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 yeah. in the, in the, yeah. uh, oh, I forgot, I forgot the league, but great, great team, great, uh, great, uh, league overall. Mm-hmm. And then I was, I don't know where I was. I was, I think, uh, the driveline people, Kyle, Bo- uh, Kyle Bode tweeted something of one of my pitching performances mm-hmm. and then tagged Jerry Weinstein about potential uh, Israel World Baseball Classic pitcher at Jerry Weinstein because he was the coach for the Israel World Baseball Classic team mm-hmm. and they were looking for arms. And so then he's like, okay, hey, I'm coaching in the Cape. We might, you know, call you out as, you know, arms drop, people get hurt and some back out. And so he's like, I need you to back out of your your commitment to the the Savannah Bananas. I did that, and it was probably three weeks into summer. I got a call. I was getting prepared to study for the LSAT, so mm-hmm. like my mm-hmm. law school yeah. admissions exam. And thank God I got this call. I did not want to do that. <laughs> and you know, he just said, Hey, we need we have a spot. I wasn't going to be a temp player. I was going to uh-huh. be there for a full like a little over a month, which was super cool. And I got. I flew out the next day. I was like, let's do this. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think I got a start <laughs> maybe a few days after I got there. And I'll never forget this start. It was not a great start by any means. I think I gave up five runs, a home run, a couple doubles off the wall to a couple <laughs> first rounders. And yeah. and then I'll never forget. I walked back in the dugout and Coach Weinstein goes, welcome to the Cape. <laughs> and I, it was at that moment, I'm like, all right. Time to, uh, you know, that good season you just had means absolutely nothing. <laughs> You're in the Cape Cod. You got to figure out. That's a real out, deal. You got to figure out how to start commanding your secondary stuff. And you got to mm-hmm. start, you know, getting crafty with things. So I got a great opportunity to work with Coach Lawler, who was like a Texas A&M pitching coach for years. Just a legend. And then one of our assistants was Don Snedden, who's an absolute legend in junior junior college baseball. Has like the most wins in California junior ball history so super cool super great experience to learn from those guys and Jerry Weinstein is a legend in himself mm-hmm. you know, he's gonna be like multiple baseball hall of fames great great opportunity I ended up getting hurt there later after one of my starts again I, I got a relief appearance after that bad start to kind of an opportunity to prove myself again because there's I mean if they want they can just call up someone else yeah. from another team no one's ever going to say no you know, no yeah. one's ever going to say yeah. no even if it's a 10 day temp contract and then if you have one good outing they might sign you and then they can send you home just like this and and so I got another opportunity to throw a relief I did good then I got an opportunity to get another start so this would be I had one start one relief appearance got another start against the same team Falmouth which mm-hmm. was powerhouse they right. always seem to have the best of, teams of the Cape, I don't understand it they have, yeah, they're always really 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 good a lot of talent which is weird because they're trying to go for balance right and, right. and, and right. the eight teams right, right. but it's yeah. who you have relationships with the coaches yeah. so if let's say someone at Oregon State has a relationship with the head coach at Falmouth then they might say hey I want to send these two guys to you because we played against Larnick and Grayson Griner oh yeah so he was on that Falmouth team Madrigal was supposed to be on our team but he was playing yeah. for Team USA that summer Larnick oh my gosh yeah, she Larnick. could swing yeah it. absolutely <laughs> and so I got another start against Falmouth through five innings, did much better. You know, only gave up two runs. It's good. Um, it was a nice comeback. You know, faced the yeah. same exact team that I gave up five mm-hmm. runs to. 
you know, before. So it felt good. But after that outing, there was something in my elbow that just didn't feel right. And, mm. it, and I've always had elbow issues. I mean, f- f- my entire college career. And it was always one of those things that once when I get warm and throw a little bit, it tends to go away. You know, I, it's manageable. It doesn't affect my velo. Maybe it did. I, I mm-hmm. guess I don't really know. But it just like, never really felt the same after that. And it was very, very painful. I had one more start after that and I did well, but my velo was, mm-hmm. I was probably 84 to 90 in the Cape. And during the season I would sit like 90 to 89 to 92 ish. Hmm. And it was just, I was working with Lawler at the time with some more off speed. So I was able to have, you know, throw some off speed in there, but it just, it just hurt really badly. And it wasn't going away when I was getting warm. You know, it was, it, it, it just, yeah. I tried getting a stem cell. I tried getting a cortisone, hmm. nothing, nothing really helped to this day. I still haven't figured it out and it still bothers me. But overall the Cape experience was probably the coolest experience in my life. I truly think that I'm 99% sure I'm the only kid on that team that didn't get drafted or didn't get the opportunity to play professional baseball, which yeah, people it, don't need to know that. Well, I kind of find it cool because yeah. I was just some you D2 played in kid. the Cape dude. Come I was on. a D2 kid and yeah. there's not very many D2 kids there. Yeah. And to get that opportunity, cool. it was pretty special. Yeah. And so I, I look at that as like, man, I played with Casey Mize. I played with Joey Bart, like some of the best players in minor league baseball right now. The was, first overall pick and the second overall pick. Like we're on my team. Yeah. And, yeah. and and you know, I gotta call teammates. And that yeah. was pretty special to me. You're getting on the field. Adidu mm-hmm. you're getting on the field in Cape Cod. I'm ball. getting That's starts. That's freaking amazing. Like there were yeah. people who were asking for starts on the mound who have been there all summer that and, the coach would wouldn't give them a start because maybe it was wasn't what their coach wanted or whatever, but I just got that opportunity and I'll never forget it. My family got to come out for eight days. Oh, like, nice. cool. we got to stay in born. Cool. I mean, it's, I still am still in contact with my host family today. Wow. Like I still today, actually today, three years ago, I, I got the call to go out there. Nice. So I don't know. It's just, it was probably the coolest moment that and going to a college world series was awesome. Probably the two coolest things I've ever done. So we're running up on the end of our uh, our episode, but before we um, we close it off, let's talk a little MLB to PDX. Um, you know, you're working at Baseballism. They're really helping to make that push Major League Baseball to Portland. They're really, you know, background supporting it. But what does it, what do it mean to you um, when a baseball team comes to Portland? So, so I, I, I'm a, I, you know, now that I've hung up the cleats, you know, it's been a couple years. I'm in grad school now. I'm getting my JD MBA, and I have a. I want to work in sports, whether mm-hmm. it be like athletic retail, like maybe baseball is in one day, or you know, working Nike brand baseball or Adidas brand yep. baseball or whatever. It might be. There's a lot of opportunities in baseball all over, whether it's you know for a business or a front office. Mm-hmm. And I've always thrown it. You know, I wanted to get my JD MBA after I learned uh, Theo Epstein had his. Yep. You know, and he's a GM of the Cubs. And it was one of those things where do I want to go into, into business or do I want to go, you know, start my career after I graduate in the front office? And so it would be super, super cool to get the opportunity to have a baseball team here and then have the opportunity to work for them. Oh, there it is. So there's it's one of those things where like it could be a win win. Yeah, you know, sure. For the city of Portland, for me as a baseball fan and for selfish opportunities as yeah. someone who wants to, you know, maybe who wants to stay in baseball in some Tons capacity, of in some capacity. Yeah. and mm-hmm. you know, there's an opportunity there if, yeah. if it comes because it, if it's an expansion, you know, they're going to be looking for people because it's it's they're not taking people from another team, especially yeah. in the in the front office. So that would be super cool. I hope it happens. Mm-hmm. I don't know what the situation is. I mean, I haven't heard a lot of talk about it. And if it was a, if it was one of the you know bigger issues leading into the, this upcoming off season, I think there would be more talk about it. It's sort of a difficult thing to think about. I want it to happen, yeah. but it's you know it's hard. I think you, you may be entrenched in a career before yeah. it does. Yeah, but yeah, you that's never what know. I, that's but you never I, know. I, it you know, could be yeah. five plus years till yeah. I think something like this happens. Yeah, I think they're just kind of waiting for the whole. Tampa Bay, Oakland situation to get settled. And it looks like those two are kind of working their way to being settled. So um, it'll be interesting on that aspect to see what goes on there. Um, I firmly believe and will continue to believe Oakland will stay in Oakland and Tampa Bay is going to move to Montreal. That's my belief. Um, Last question. Who are you starting a Major League Baseball team with? Which player? Which player? 
Oh, right now? Yeah. Mike Trout. Mike Trout. Hands down. He's the best player to ever play the game in baseball. Most Probably. talented most Probably. talented player Probably to ever. ever play. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's unbelievable to watch watch him play. It's like every single Angels highlight, it's him hitting a home run, him making a game-winning home run save, saving grab over the wall. Mm-hmm. It's absolutely insane. I hate watching him toy with my Mariners. He just yeah. toys with I know. them. It's and like, it's he's like, this is not, I'm not in this league. I know. It's people, funny for him. People like, don't realize how lucky they are to see to see this happening because in, in like 10 years, the best ever play the game. we're going to be celebrating his retirement and looking mm-hmm. back on it and being like, we got to watch an entire career of the best player to ever play the game. To ever baseball. play the game. Yeah. yeah. Like that's pretty cool. You know, because I've only heard stories of some of the all-time greats, and you you mm-hmm. think like, man, like I watched the documentary well, last watch night. Watch some grainy video. They're not Mike Trout. <laughs> I watched the '95 uh, Mariners documentary last night. Oh yeah, and just to be in the kingdom in '95 would have been such a cool, cool, cool experience. Mm-hmm. And I, I I thought about it last night. I was like. I wish I had the opportunity to go experience that. Yeah. Go be there when Griffey was a kid and Randy Johnson was dominating, you know, throwing, being 6'11", throwing high 90s from the left side. Like, it's like this. It's like, you look back 10 years, don't take watching Trout for granted because yeah. he is the greatest, yeah. in my opinion. And it's, it's not going to mm-hmm. be close because he's you a stud. Know, you know, I have some back and forth conversations with Rob Nyer, the commissioner of the West Coast League and former ESPN employee. Um, and I, we just talk about um, the Negro Leagues and, you know, and, and talk about Satchel Paige and, and all those guys that got to play in that league and how I wish I could go back in time and just, like, watch yeah. those games. I think it would be pretty phenomenal. I think people missed out on some really, really great baseball. Um, so, with that said, thank you so much for joining us. We really appreciate getting to know you better. Um, and, and hearing about everything that you've got to, uh, you know, do in your life so, up to this point. So congratulations on on yeah. all that and your your Thank career. You. And, you. and I'm sure the next that, phase. Yeah, That's yeah. cool. Thank you. I appreciate that. I'm sure you're going to take a lot away from you know your past and, and be able to to move it forward. So yeah, absolutely. Um, I just want to say thank you for coming on, um, Clayton. Appreciate yeah. your time. Yeah, thank you for having me. Yeah, All right. Appreciate it. Well, that's going to do it for this episode. Great um, travels. Yeah. Best of luck. Keep keep working hard. Thank you. It's good yep. stuff. Will do. Excellent. So that'll do it for this episode. As always, I'm Ben. I'm Dave. And uh, you have yourself a great day wherever you're at. Peace out.